But before you start, Monique, I, I want to ask you about a project that you're massively involved in. Um, it's just down the road, isn't it? Um, what is the project? Tell us uh, about it. Oh, there we go. We're on. <laughs> it's called Youth Community Home, and it's a new home right here in Chiswick. And the aim is that it provides short-term accommodation for young adults between the ages of 18 and 25 who are in housing need. And it's run by a really wonderful um, Christian family who also live locally. Great. And Christchurch has been quite involved with kind of getting this charity up and running and, and helping volunteer staff it and financially support it. So I know the charity want to say thank you to Christchurch. Yes. But um, they've also got a launch party. Can you tell us a little bit yes. more about that? <laughs> yeah, we do really, really want to thank you so much for all of your very kind support. We've been really touched um, by how the local community have clubbed around us. But yeah, so we're doing a launch party on Saturday the 6th of March. Um, it's at 3pm and it'll be on Zoom. We would have loved to have you all round in the building, but... Sadly, that was not possible. Uh, but yeah, we just wanted to take an opportunity to thank you and our, the rest of our local community and also kind of share some more information about the project, some more of our vision and heart for young people. Great. And if you just uh, saw on the screen, there was a, a notice that had the, the kind of the sign-up URL that you can tap into your email um, web address and uh, access the, the Zoom code and stuff through there. So yep. highly recommend joining for that. And uh, it'll be a great afternoon to learn about a local charity really supporting and equipping local young people who are in need. But great. Thank you, John. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's so lovely to be with you all in spirit, but also have some very friendly faces in the building. <laughs> so I just want to start with a question, actually, and ask, when was the last time you heard God's voice or heard God speak to you? Maybe you opened a passage of scripture and felt like it was written just for you. Or can you think of a time in your life where God spoke really powerfully to you? I remember very clearly one time that God spoke really powerfully to me. It was a few years ago, um, and I was in a very serious crisis of faith. And actually, it was the book of Hebrews that God spoke to me through. I was totally racked with doubt, and I remember crystal clearly sitting in this cafe one afternoon and saying to God or to whoever was out there, um, look, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. I don't think I can be a Christian the, the doubt I'm going through is just too painful, and I give up. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to me very gently, but also very clearly, and turned me to Hebrews 11, which I thought was a bit weird. I was like, I'm done with the Bible. I have no interest. <laughs> but I was curious, so I turned to it. And basically, I encountered God's voice in that passage in a way that brought me fresh faith and begun a real journey towards healing of that doubt. And today's word that we're um, looking at is from the chapter just after that. And this chapter that we're in today is really all about hearing God's voice when he speaks to us and heeding it. So obeying it and listening to it, acting upon God's word. So it's Hebrews 12 or in 14 to 29. Do follow along if you can, because the passage goes into really neat chunks. <laughs> so we'll go through it in order. And this bit we're in today comes within the five exhortations that we've been following in Hebrews. This is the fifth and final one. And this chapter is about not defying the word of God. It offers us a very firm warning. But it comes in the context of that preceding chapter, chapter 11, which is all about God's people who he gave the gift of great faith to. 
And that was the passage that God took me to during my crisis of faith. And in that list of people of great faith, I think perhaps the story of Sarah is the most striking. You'll probably well know the story. Sarah was the wife of Abraham. And she was elderly and barren. But God had promised Sarah and Abraham that he would give them a child. And one day, some men of God came to talk to Abraham and said, Sarah, your wife will have a child. And Sarah heard this from her tent, and she laughed. And when the men of God called her out on it, she denied laughing. But what's interesting is that in Hebrews 11, Sarah is remembered as one who was faithful to the promises of God. And though maybe in the moment when she heard God's promise, and it sounded a bit absurd, doubt began to rise up, God really did a work of faith in her and brought real healing to her faith and remembered her as one who was faithful. So really, I just want to say, there's so much hope if you are someone who is struggling with your faith at the moment, like Sarah did in the moment or like I did those years ago. Because faith is not entirely our work or our striving, but it is a work of God's grace in us and to us. So ask him for it. The big idea of our passage today is don't refuse God's offer to you of the unshakable kingdom and don't refuse his word as he speaks it. Revere him, approach him in holy fear and respond in gratitude and worship, pursuing holiness. So it's really handy. This passage splits into a beautiful (laughs) 3.7. It was all obviously thought about. And it's got three key chunks, and each one has its own Old Testament contrast, which we'll go into a little bit. And then it concludes with two really practical um, applications. So our first chunk, we're in verses 14 to 17. And really, these are about having long-term kingdom vision, about pursuing holiness and peace. And these verses talk about the whole community together, pursuing holiness and peace. And this really highlights the importance of unity in the body, God's church, and ensuring that no one gets left behind. And really, that is one of our values here as a church community, that we walk as disciples of Jesus together. And these verses say, see to it that no bitterness, no sexual immorality, no unholiness springs up among you. And I'm going to come back to them in a second, but because the passage also says that we're to have long-term kingdom vision. And that's explained by this seemingly odd reference to Esau from the Old Testament. Um, But I'm going to turn to the message, because the Message Bible paraphrases this verse in a really helpful way. And what it says is, watch out for the Esau syndrome, trading away God's lifelong gift, which in our passage is the birthright, in order to satisfy a short-term appetite, which is the meal in our version. And that's really powerful, challenging words. And the question for us today then is, is there a short-term appetite we're tempted to fulfill at the expense of missing God's lifelong gift into eternity? And thankfully, the text gives us a solution. (laughs) It says repentance. So really, let's be quick to repent. Let's be a people who are quick to repent and let's not leave anyone behind in our pursuit of God and his holiness. Let's ensure we're rooting up bitterness and sexual immorality and unholiness in our community. And some of the ways we can do this as a church community is through accountability. It might be that you need to grab someone in the congregation who you trust, that you can pray with and share with regularly. 
Perhaps um, it's a small group for you. We find that small groups are a great point in the week to come back together, to turn to God's word, to pray together, to share what's going on in our lives. Or it might be that you're interested in mentoring. It's funny because tomorrow Nicola is going to finish training an amazing cohort of men and women who will now be able to mentor people. And I've had mentoring in the past and it's been really life-changing to have an older, wiser Christian walk with you and call you on in your faith. And lastly, just be neighbors to one another. You know, it can be as simple as checking in and keeping meeting where possible, obviously within restrictions and things, to share what God's doing in your life, to build up and encourage one another. And also being quick to apologize to one another and forgive one another. And this builds a culture of repentance in us as a community, which means that we retain soft hearts and trained consciences. So we're going to our second chunk, which is uh, verses 18 to 21, which talk all about the old way of encountering God. In short, it's terrifying. <laughs> um, but the Old Testament example used in this chunk is from Mount Sinai, which is the place where God's people traditionally encountered God. Um, it was back in Egypt, and it was where Moses received God's word, where he heard God speak to him. And he came down that mountain with the Ten Commandments that we have. So the good news is we, as God's people, haven't come to a touchable, visible encounter with God as at Mount Sinai. And wow, <laughs> I'm pretty grateful um, after reading this passage. The text describes Mount, um, God's presence on Mount Sinai as a mountain burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast. Yeah, I'm so thankful that's no longer our reality because an encounter with God in our unholiness, in our human sinfulness, was a terrifying thing. The people, it says the people couldn't cope with it. They were terrified of God's mode of speaking. Even Moses, their great leader, was really scared. But this picture here of the way God spoke to his people in the Old Testament is here to serve the purpose of contrasting with our new reality under Christ which takes us to our third chunk, we're in verses 22 to 24, which describe the new way of encountering God, the new and better covenant. Covenant is this old word meaning promise or agreement or you know, even a way of being and living between us and God. And the verses say that being under this new covenant, this new promise with God, means that we approach the living God in a heavenly city. It's a scene of real joy and celebration the kingdom of God, where Jesus is our mediator. We heard a few weeks ago um, in chapter 7 that Jesus intercedes at the right hand of the Father on our behalf. I mean, that's mind-blowing to think that Jesus is up there in heaven, sat next to God, and he prays for, by name for each one of us to the Father. And the Old Testament contrast used in this section is Abel. Now, Abel was uh, the son of Adam and Eve, and he offered the very first sacrifice in Scripture. And it was right at the beginning in Genesis. And in Genesis, it says that God found Abel's sacrifice acceptable. And those words might, might ring some bells because it sounds like someone else we know. <laughs> and the writer uses this parallel to say that not only was Jesus' sacrifice deemed acceptable by God, but this time in exchange for our lives but also that Jesus' sacrifice was way better than Abel's. Jesus' sacrifice went over and above in pleasing God and offering us redemption and new life. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we're under that new and better covenant. 
our experience of communication with and access to God is now completely different. The picture in these verses, as opposed to the one in the previous chunk from Mount Sinai, are wildly different. But it's vital to note that God himself hasn't changed, though his mode of communication and the degree of access we have to him has changed. Which means, because God hasn't changed, he does remain someone to be feared. As we heard Richard preach at the end of January, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's from Hebrews 10, 31. But our access and our approach to God has changed. A way has opened up, and that's thanks to Jesus. The closest analogy I can think of is um, an angry parent. (laughs) And I think an angry parent's really scary to any outsider. I mean, I don't have kids, so I'm a bit afraid when I see an angry parent. It all seems very serious. Um, But often the kid still feels very able to continue the relationship with their parent, to continue the conversation, and even ask for something else. (laughs) And that's because of their identity as a loved son or daughter. So despite their parent's state, they're still very able to access that parent. So Jesus' death, his sacrifice, marks a proclamation of grace. It marks us out as those loved sons and daughters who have a new access to the living God. So we're in our concluding verses. So we're in verses um, 25 to 29. And we're back with our big idea. Don't refuse God's offer to you and to me of the unshakable kingdom. Don't refuse his word as he speaks it. Revere him and approach him in holy fear. Respond in gratitude and worship, pursuing holiness. So don't refuse God's voice, especially now he offers it in a better way. What a privilege to hear it, to hear the voice of the living God. So these verses here, um, they tell us that God warns us from heaven that the same shaking of the earth that happened at Sinai is now happening in the heavenlies instead. And this is quite a lot to get your head around theologically. So um, I'm going to go again to the message because it just paraphrases this again in a really helpful way. And what it says is, don't turn your back to the heavenly warnings like the people did with the earthly warnings. And that made me think of that New Testament parable about the rich man and Lazarus. And you may or may not be familiar with it, but in the parable, there's a rich man who ignored God and ignored his homeless neighbor, Lazarus, all of his life and just went on with his life, living his best life. (laughs) And then one day he died and he found himself in hell. And from his place in hell, he looked up and he could see Lazarus with God. And he said, God, please send Lazarus back to my family to tell them that hell is real. And God said to the rich man, Look, if your family and you didn't listen to the scriptures that you had in plentiful supply, you didn't listen to the prophets that I sent you, if I send Lazarus back, they're not going to listen to him either. This is one of Jesus' toughest parables, I think. But the message really is don't turn your back on the warning you're receiving from heaven now in today's passage because there may not be another one sent to you. You know, when God spoke to me so clearly that day in that cafe, in the midst of my crisis of faith (laughs) about Hebrews 11, I was shocked, but I listened. And six years later, I can thankfully say that my faith is stronger than ever. And um, because God has a sense of humor, I'm now preaching on that very topic. (laughs) And 
I just want to say, friends, God speaks to us tonight. He offers us his unshakable kingdom. It cannot be broken or moved. It's a firm foundation for our feet to stand on. And it's a beautiful offer. So let's hear and obey God's voice. And as the text says, let's respond in gratitude and worship God with the reverence he's due. So I'm going to hand back over to John and we'll do exactly that.